Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with tragedy in Mission, where a toddler has died after wandering away from a daycare. The child, not quite two years old, was found unresponsive in the pool of a home right next door. Our Jill Bennett is live in Mission tonight with the latest on this. What an awful story, Jill. What are we learning about how this happened? Sophie, the police tape is down. Bags of evidence have been brought out of the house with that daycare inside. But the investigation into those moments leading up to the toddler's death is still very much active. You found her in the pool. Oh, my God. She started just screaming and crying. It was around 4.40 p.m. Wednesday when police were called. A 23-month-old girl was missing from a home-based daycare center. The toddler was found a short time later, but despite being treated at the scene, did not survive. An RCMP responded uh, immediately. We began checking the daycare as well as neighboring properties. And in doing so, we located um, the girl in an underground swimming pool where we immediately jumped in, uh, brought her out and began CPR. I was just hoping that the child was still alive, that they were trying to revive her. And I was kind of hopeful that uh, they were able to do something and they were taking her to the hospital. Part of the investigation is determining how the toddler was able to get away from the daycare and into the neighbor's yard and into the pool. Officers have been checking the latches on gates and taking fingerprints from a pool slide next to a fence. Neighbors say the previous owners were meticulous about keeping the gates locked. The, um, the gate is quite tall as well, but I know that it has a good, a good lock. Like a, it's quite secure. As for the daycare, it's licensed as Melissa's Bright Beginnings Child Care Centre. In January, a Fraser Health inspection found supervision challenges due to the layout of the physical space. Rooms are divided by walls, making direct line of vision not possible. During the time licensing was on site, some children were having lunch, some were in the main play area. The inspector also found there were five children under the age of 36 months and one without the necessary paperwork. RCMP also used a drone and canvassed nearby homes in the neighbourhood Thursday. There's a number of investigations ongoing, it's my understanding, and uh, we wait and see what the, happens with those investigations. I can't talk to specifics. All right. Well, Jill, have there been any previous complaints against Melissa's Bright Beginnings? And what happens to that daycare now? Sophie, we know it was licensed in September of 2017. That inspection in January was the first one. It did bring forward several other infractions. Uh, we're told by Fraser Health that the licensee dealt with those. However, they were called back here in April to a complaint of noise and a complaint about supervision. At the time, they were told by the licensee that would be rectified. That brings us to today. That license has now been suspended. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that. Jill Bennett in Mission. The Ministry of Children and Family Development is now investigating after an RCMP officer left his four young children, including a baby, unattended in a vehicle. 
A Global News reporter discovered the children in an underground parkade in Vancouver yesterday. All appeared to be under seven years old, the youngest under six months. The father is an RCMP officer. He says the children were in the unlocked vehicle for about 30 minutes and he was occasionally checking on them. He said his babysitter canceled last minute and it was imperative he didn't miss work. The ministry says it's the public's duty to report any situation in which a child may be at risk. Whenever uh, children are left in a car, it's up to people that should report it. And if a report is made, uh, then the ministry investigates. I can't talk to the specifics of a case, but it's important to say that if, especially when the hot weather's coming up, that if someone sees children in a car, they, they need to report it. Leaving your kids in the car alone is not against the law, but the provincial guideline is 10 years old. RCMP not commenting on what consequences the officer could face. A spokesperson says they are continuing to gather information about what happened. Vancouver police are asking for your help to locate a sex offender wanted on a Canada-wide warrant. 33-year-old Richard Darren Rondeau failed to return to his halfway house last night. He's been assessed as a high risk to reoffend. Rondeau is 5 foot 8 and 165 pounds. Anyone who sees him is asked to call 911 right away. VPD also need your help finding 26-year-old Carissa Cokes. She was recently reported missing by her family, but she hasn't actually been seen since last October near Powell Street and Heatley Avenue in Vancouver. She's five foot four with a slim build. If you've seen her, you're asked to call 911 or Vancouver Police. We're getting a better idea tonight about how much Metro Vancouver's mobility pricing could cost you, and it might be incentive to give up driving altogether. An independent commission released its final report on how we should fund transportation improvements, and the two most likely options would have you paying a lot more. Ted Chernecki reports. The route to the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge is absolutely congestion. Traffic. A little like the weather. Everyone's talking about it, but no one's doing anything. Well, that's about to change, or so hopes the Mobility Pricing Commission, which today released its long-awaited report. The opportunity through mobility pricing to reduce traffic congestion in this region by somewhere between 20 and 25 percent and increase the reliability of trips by around 20 percent if properly implemented. But it's going to cost a lot. The report identifies two examples of how it's done elsewhere. One idea is congestion point charges, basically at most of the bridges. For illustrative purposes only, on the Lionsgate Bridge or Iron Workers, for example, motorists would be charged 3 to $7 each way in peak hours and about a dollar in non-peak. This is a proven way to reduce congestion. There is no other way that we know of that is near as effective as this. Then there's zone distance-based charges, where in peak hours, if you travel two zones, you're charged 20 to 25 cents a kilometer, 3 to 10 cents in non-peak. All said, mobility pricing could generate up to $100 million more a year. The gap is, uh, uh, that needs to be filled is $100 million dollars a year. So uh, no doubt, uh, you know, I think we... The, the region does look at mobility and pricing as an opportunity to be able to fund uh, future investments in public transit. The good news is that 17-cent gas tax for TransLink could be eliminated. Mind you, it's only generating about two-thirds of what it did five years ago. The mayors know they've got an enormous challenge to convince the public that time is worth far more than a mobility pricing charge. There was almost no support for a similar program in London and Stockholm until motorists saw a clear improvement.
Ted Chernacki, Global News. A new survey shows uh, many drivers in B.C. believe society simply tolerates people who commit insurance fraud. The study from ICBC indicates 47% of customers feel that committing auto insurance fraud is an accepted practice in the province. Further to that, 79% believe that up to half of all claims made with ICBC contain an element of fraud. ICBC says fraud affects only about 10 to 20 percent of all claims, but feels the perception is definitely concerning. The province is rolling out a new three-year plan to overhaul BC's health care system. The changes include 200 new family doctors giving patients better access to health professionals. Nadia Stewart tells us which communities are expected to benefit first. It is a rare sight, a walk-in clinic with an empty waiting room in Burnaby, where meeting patient demand is a challenge. At the Edmonds area, we're very underserved. We're probably one of the second or third most underserved in the province. Uh, And most people don't see that because this is a nice big urban area, and you'd think that doctors would flock here, but they don't. Between a team of five full-time and seven part-time doctors, 46,000 patients are treated here. Some have family doctors, many don't. A similar story in Chilliwack, where one in four residents does not have a GP. People rely on walk-in clinics, going to the hospital. It is a a huge problem in Chilliwack. We're not having enough doctors, so our medical clinics are just... Um, overbooked, overscheduled. The BC NDP hoping to bring about an end to the struggle, announcing major changes to the primary care system. With team-based care, and that team-based approach means that we're going to connect people to doctors, nurse practitioners, pharmacists, psychologists, social workers, dietitians, physiotherapists, and other healthcare professionals that will meet their needs when they need it, where they need it. The establishment of this primary care network comes with an injection of 200 new general practitioners. Over the next three years, government hopes to roll out these networks across 70% of the province, starting with Burnaby, Richmond, Comox, South Okanagan, Similkameen, and Prince George. But the opposition Liberals say this announcement isn't entirely new. We announced $90 million over three years a year ago to bring integrated team-based primary care to more communities in B.C. And now they're announcing uh, the same thing, plus a little more, so that's good. Still, doctors, including Sangara, say this is a big step forward, one he's hoping will bring about some much-needed change. Nadia Stewart, Global News. A crash involving a fuel truck has shut down the Trans-Canada Highway near Goldstream Park. It happened around 11 o'clock this morning, the fuel truck colliding with a van. Two people were injured. The Ministry of Environment said the truck leaked an undetermined amount of furnace oil into a ditch. But then B.C. spill response on scene later said no furnace oil leak. The cause of the collision is under investigation. The highway expected to be closed until 4 a.m. tomorrow, so if you're heading that way... Check Drive BC for updates. Two decisions from BC Supreme Court today on legal challenges related to the Trans Mountain Expansion Project, both in favor of those supporting the project. Global National's David Aiken has more on the decision and what it means. Well, the big takeaway today is that we have now got four court cases and they've all gone the same way in favor of those who back the pipeline. Still, there's lots more legal fights to come. The key issue for the B.C. Supreme Court in today's decision was this. Was the provincial environmental review process sufficient? The city of Vancouver and the Squamish First Nations said no. The court said yes. The fight will continue on. 
for our nation to defend our rights to our territory, to protect our inlet, to protect our environment, to protect our communities, and to protect the economy of our people. Today's decision followed two in March from the Federal Court of Appeal. There, the government of B.C. and the city of Burnaby argued the National Energy Board had exceeded its jurisdiction. The court said no, it had not. Next up, a delay tactic from the Horgan government, a reference case question for the B.C. Appeals Court on B.C.'s jurisdiction to regulate oil traffic through the province. That answer, though, could be weeks or even months away. And there was more at the Federal Court of Appeal, too. Pipeline opponents there say the Trudeau government failed to consult First Nations, and they want a judicial review of the federal cabinet's Trans Mountain decision. That case has been with the court for over a year now, and no word on when the court will rule. Expect the answers in both those cases to be appealed up to the Supreme Court of Canada. And if all that was not enough, remember, B.C. last week started up a new legal fight, this one at the Alberta Supreme Court, with the Notley government and the Notley government's right to turn off the taps to B.C. And yes, you can expect that, too, to end up at the Supreme Court. Back to you. All right, David Aiken in Ottawa. David, thank you. Now, late this afternoon, the city of Burnaby revealed it is appealing the National Energy Board's approval of the Kinder Morgan Pipeline route. The city argues the company chose a new route for its expanded pipeline through parks and green spaces and that the NEB ignored the social, environmental and economic value to city residents. But first, you won't be hearing actor Morgan Freeman's voice on buses and SkyTrains anymore, at least for now. As John Waugh reports, TransLink made the decision to pull the actor's recorded announcements after allegations arose of sexual harassment. Good news, Vancouver. At first, getting Morgan Freeman's soothing tones on the SkyTrain... You can now tap your visa to go anywhere TransLink takes you was a golden opportunity. It was so exciting. My friends and I both looked at each other and we were freaking out. <laughs> Wait a while. Where it gets around. Now with the Shawshank Redemption star's reputation tarnished by allegations of sexual misconduct, TransLink is putting Morgan on mute. After we learned this morning, like everybody else did, we decided that we would put pause on the Visa ad campaign running our system featuring Morgan Freeman. According to reports, 16 people have come forward, accusing the actor of sexual harassment, unwanted touching and inappropriate comments towards women. Freeman wrote in a statement, I apologize to anyone who felt uncomfortable or disrespected. That was never my intent. It seems to be happening a lot these days, but never expected it to happen to Morgan Freeman. I was also a fan, I won't lie. I was like, when I saw it this morning, I was a bit disappointed. Everybody in is innocent, and you know that? None of the accusations have been proven in court. Still, marketing experts say TransLink was right to pull the announcement ads. What you have to do now is separate yourself from that celebrity endorsement because that brand now washes over onto your own brand. Many taking transit agreed. A voice they once described as calming and wise now is just too controversial. I think it would be just open up a whole can of worms that we really don't need. But innocent until proven guilty, right? On Twitter, Canadian comedian Seth Rogen said he'll call out the stops for TransLink, the transit company expressing some interest. But experts say staying away from celebrity voices for now is the safest bet. John Hua, Global News. Well, NBC News is reporting disgraced producer Harvey Weinstein will turn himself into New York police tomorrow to face sexual misconduct charges. Weinstein has been under investigation in New York, Los Angeles and London 
ever since dozens of women accused him of misconduct. Neither police nor Weinstein's people are commenting on reports of charges about to be laid, and Weinstein says categorically, or he has categorically denied accusations of non-consensual sex. Well, it looks like that unseasonably hot spring weather that caused floods in the southern interior is also sparking an early start to the wildfire season. Crews have been called out to a pair of new fires. A blaze northwest of Kamloops is near the perimeter of last year's destructive Elephant Hill fire. It's exploded since yesterday from an estimated 60 hectares to about 800 hectares now. Um, we were quite worried last year because the fire came within about two and a half kilometers. Uh, the, the, the Elephant Hill fire came within about two and a half kilometers from our property. So now the fire's on the other side. So, uh, so it's a little, it's a bit of a worry. And another fire is burning over 300 hectares west of Lillooet. And an evacuation alert has been issued for some people living in that area. Both fires are considered to be out of control, and we're going to keep our eye on them for you. Well, the Elephant Hill wildfire destroyed 120 homes last summer, 40 of them around the tightly knit community of Loon Lake, north of Cache Creek. But now the region has rebuilt and is open for business again. As Lynn Collier reports, the Evergreen Fishing Resort is just one example of a business that's risen from the ashes. Ron Ebert has spent his entire life here on the shore of Loon Lake. His grandfather built the resort in 1953. His dad took it over, and now he runs it. When they had to leave because of the wildfire last July, Ron wasn't sure what would be left when they came back. Unbelievable, really, to see the fire coming over the mountain like it did. It was really um, overwhelming. You know, we assumed we lost everything. The main lodge was the greatest loss. 64 years of memories burned to the ground. Also gone, six cabins, a pontoon boat, and a dock. But the rebuilding began almost as soon as they were allowed back in. I started building, well, what I figured was the most important building to operate this summer. Our laundry and uh, facilities were down six cabins, so I'd like to replace uh, a few of them, maybe, maybe more. And their regular guests are back. Glenn Sokolowski has been coming here to the same cabin for 15 years. It's nice just to see everything the way it is for what was lost and what's left. Nice to see the folks here and uh, nice to see our cabin still standing. Nice to get out there and uh, spend a little time in the boat and chasing some trout around and just spending some quiet time on the lake. For the Ebert family, service has always been a priority, making guests feel like family. These guys work seven days a week, and, and just, it's a fantastic family that runs it. Right from way back when my grandpa bought it, it was always service. He came here in 1953 and, uh, and built a life here for us. You know, I, I hope that he would uh, be proud of what we did. With the fewer cabins, but we are looking for people. Come on up. Lynn Collier, Global News. A huge fire broke out overnight at a waste sorting plant in Warsaw, sending flames and smoke several kilometers into the sky. More than 40 fire crews worked through the night to knock down the flames and finally got the fire under control by early morning. No word on the cause or casualties. 
The international community is reeling once again tonight from Donald Trump's latest foreign policy about face. The president citing hostility for his decision to cancel next month's summit with North Korea. The historic summit with Kim Jong-un had been on shaky ground. Today, that ground gave way. I believe that this is a tremendous setback for North Korea and indeed a setback for the world. A senior administration official says the president made the decision to cancel the summit after North Korean statements overnight, threatening the U.S. with a nuclear-to-nuclear showdown and referring to Vice President Pence as a political dummy. The president dictating a three-paragraph response to the North Korean dictator, blasting Kim's tremendous anger and open hostility displayed in your most recent statement. Hopefully positive things will be taking place with respect to the future of North Korea. But if they don't, we are more ready than we have ever been before. A senior administration official calling North Korea's actions a trail of broken promises, including last week, standing up U.S. diplomats who were prepping for the summit. We had received no response to our inquiries from them. And Kim backtracking on vows to discuss denuclearization made during historic meetings with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and with South Korea's president at the DMZ. And today claiming it destroyed a nuclear test site, but refusing to let inspectors verify that. In recent days, Mr. Trump signaling the summit was in jeopardy. There's a very substantial chance that it won't work out, and that's okay. The cancellation comes after three American detainees had been released, even discussed of a Nobel Prize. Nobel. <laughs> I just want to get the job done. But today, the president still leaving the door open, writing to Kim, if you change your mind, please do not hesitate to call me or write. A diplomatic drama waiting for its next act. Kristen Welker, NBC News, the White House. A first-of-its-kind attempt to slow down B.C.'s drug overdose crisis. Aaron MacArthur tells us what St. Paul's Hospital is doing differently to prevent more deaths. It's a scene that plays itself out thousands of times every day. Drug users cooking fentanyl to use in the relative safety of an overdose prevention site. This one, however, is maybe where you would least expect it. The simple blue tent on the grounds at St. Paul's Hospital. It's the first safe space for street drug users away from the downtown east side. The number of people who have been coming into this tent and just expressing how excited they are to have a place that they can walk to that's, you know, close to their home where they don't necessarily have to leave a neighborhood and go into a neighborhood that some folks aren't comfortable going to. The tent isn't monitored or staffed by nurses and it doesn't have a federal exemption like Insight. It's run by peers, people with experience who can help users inject as safely as possible. It is potentially a bridge to better health care for people who may not trust the system. It's kind of interesting. Like they would come in here, they'd be all awkward feeling and looking and right, very you know, like standoffish. And then as soon as I told them I was a peer, they opened up right away and they were like totally relaxed. It was great. It was a good feeling. The pilot program is a collaboration between Providence, Vancouver Coastal Health, and Rain City Housing. People are often using in the bathrooms at the hospital or in the hallways. And the number of people transitioning to the tent outside has doubled every week. The problem is spreading and the West End and Granville corridors also need support in access to areas where people could use under supervision. Um, and if they overdose, have that reversed. A few people have already been turned towards St. Paul's. And if demand warrants it, 
after the pilot program, there may be potential for a more permanent space. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. It was once one of the most polluted waterways on the planet, the dumping ground for one of the biggest copper mines in the world. But after years of rehabilitation, how sound is on the comeback trail? And as Linda Aylesworth reports, the renewal is on display in a stunning new exhibit. Scuba divers have the ability to experience the wonders below the ocean's surface. Swimming beside a fish and it just thinks you're one of the fish, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Crazy and wonderful, as divers Eli Wolpen and Adam Taylor can attest to. It's totally unlike anything you see on land, and most people don't see it, so it's, it's a totally different environment. How sound is still really wild, and underwater, it's a completely alien world. It's fascinating, and it's right next to 2.4 million people. How Sound, which extends from the Strait of Georgia all the way up to Squamish, is where they spend much of their time diving and photographing the creatures that call it home. I try to show people what it is that is underwater in an effort to have them appreciate it and, and try to protect it more. And it needs protecting. How Sound was once rich with marine life, but decades of overfishing and industrial pollution took their toll. In my own lifetime, I've seen a significant decline, but also signs of hope. Hope because the mills that still exist have cleaned up their acts, and the old Britannia mine, which leached copper and other toxins into the Sound for decades, turning it into a dead zone, now has a treatment plant. You see a lot more species coming back. You see uh, the wrecks being covered in anemones and different fish. To date, Britannia Mine, which closed in 1975, is a museum. This summer it will be telling the story of how sound with the help of Eli and Adam's images. A story of recovery that still has a long way to go. It needs to have proper enforcement and also a management plan because it's not going to change overnight. We're talking it'll be one or two human generations before it's even remotely similar to what it was before we started uh, having significant impacts. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, social media in the Maritimes was all about one thing today. Newfoundlanders expressing surprise and dismay at a late spring storm that buried cars and closed schools on the island's northeast coast. People had already been golfing and gardening before this hit. More than 36 centimeters fell in some places. Our hearts go out to them. All right, it's all set. Okay. Cup final all set. Yes, and nobody would have predicted this. No. I do mean nobody, uh, at least at the start of the season. Uh, no offense to the Tampa Bay Lightning, but the Stanley Cup final now has two great stories in it. Vegas, of course, and now the long quest for hockey's holy grail by Alex Ovechkin. He's now only four, make that four, wins away. Um, he was never able to get previous good Washington Capital teams to the final Never was able to deliver a gold medal to Russia at the Olympics, but he finally gets a chance at the ultimate NHL glory. And you've got to be happy for him. He may be a showboat sometimes, but he has been one of the game's great superstars of the 21st century. And for the first time in his career, he will head to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I, I think we've been waiting this moment for a long time. And uh, we understand... Uh, what is it? Uh, what's, what does it have to take to uh, be in the final? 
For Ovechkin, it took 13 years of Hall of Fame hockey to make it. Three times during his career, he led the Capitals to the best regular season record, only to fizzle out in the playoffs. Finally, we, uh, we get what we want. But perhaps this was preordained back in March when Ovechkin scored his 600th career goal. Because of the 20 players who have scored 600 goals in history, only two never got to be in a Stanley Cup final. And 15 members of the 600 club have actually won a cup. Still lots of uh, hockey, uh, and still lots of uh, energy, and still lots of battles uh, over there. The next battle starts Monday, game one in Vegas, and the Caps, like they were against Tampa, will be the underdog. But that seems to suit them a lot better than being the favorite. The Washington. And yes, after being underdogs all year, their entire history. The Vegas Golden Knights are now a favorite. Oh, thank goodness they've made it. Eight months of excruciating pain for their fans <laughs> yes. of never knowing what it's like to be in a Stanley Cup final. Uh, the hometown casinos have finally given the Knights all the love in this series with the Capitals. But if Vegas wins, the casinos say they'll lose collectively $5 million on future bets. Because remember, at one time they were 500 to 1. When they were playing well in the regular season, their odds were going down. But they were still 300 to 1 at one time, 200 to 1. Enough people made bets that there'll be a big cash in by some folks. In fact, one person has bet enough that he would make, or maybe she, 125 grand if the Golden Knights win the Cups. And the bet wasn't that big. It was like 400 bucks. Uh, the BC Lions made a number of changes to try and rebound from that disastrous 2017 season. A lot have come, of course, on the field with the injection of new talent, but a lot has been off the field. GM Ed Hervey being a big one, but also the return of assistant coach Jeff Reimbold. You'll notice not many tattoos. That'll change. Uh, he will run the special teams. He's a guy who bleeds orange. This is his third stint with the BC Lions. He's glad to be back, and the players, especially the veterans like Roly Lombala, are also glad he is back. When, we, uh, when I heard that uh, he was coming here, I was like, perfect. The wedge is on six, so you have five. Jeff Reimbold is a bundle of energy and a bundle of football knowledge. He's been around the CFL as both assistant coach and head coach. And in recent years, he's become a special team specialist. The thought process when I first started was that you just go get a, you know, 11 crazy guys and they just have at it. But the reality of it is, is as, as I've learned and grown and have been influenced by some great coaches and teachers, is it is really, uh, a, it's, it's, it's a ballet danced by 24 people. And when he ran Hamilton special teams a few years ago, the ballet was pure bolshoi. You know, you just hear um, how great of a coach he is uh, throughout the league. He's one of the, if not the top special team coach. And, you know, guys want to play for him. The days of having discussions are over. And, you know, the way he uh, motivates you, the way he uh, he's very precise in the technique and how hard we're working is really awesome. You get Mackie with you, yeah. right? And then we right on the ball, Mackie will be Reinbold is an American who has had a long love affair with the CFL. It started with the BC Lions when he was just a guest coach here in the early 90s. I remember walking into BC Place the first time and we're playing the Riders and, you know, I'm just a guest coach. I mean, I'm just a kid that's going to be there for a couple of weeks. And I got the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And I really, from that point on in my career, until I actually came up here full-time in 91, 
I didn't really aspire to coach in the NFL. I wanted to coach in the CFL. He may be all business, but he's always been known as one of the most free-spirited coaches in the league, and that hasn't changed. Have you ever seen a coach with that many tattoos? <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. You know, I love that. I love that he's got a little bit of swag. You know, it's awesome. Absolutely, hang loose, baby. Mm-hmm. Do you lead the league in tattoos for coaches? I think I'm. I'm. I think I'm far and far away ahead. I, I don't have a lot of body surface, but what I have, I've maximized. <laughs> body surface. Doesn't oh, yeah. have a lot of body no, surface. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Squire. Here's uh, here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11. Jay. Thank you very much, Chris. We're following news that the College of the Naturopathic Physicians is investigating a complaint launched against three BC practitioners who falsely claim they can eliminate autism. We'll have the details. And the Vancouver Aquarium is fighting to keep this little guy alive. The premature baby seal was found alone on Anvil Island yesterday and brought to the aquarium. He's been named Emerald after the birthstone for the month of May. We'll have uh, more on those stories and the rest of the day's news when you join us tonight at 11. Poor Emerald. All right, thanks, Jay. In good hands, though, right? Squire finds out how nurses train to give needles when we come back. But first, here's Kasha Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasha. No shortage of things for this last weekend of May. First, let's head to New Westminster, where the much-anticipated Hayak International Parade is happening Saturday. This is BC's largest parade, with over 120 entries from all over the province. It's all about the spirit of community that's truly inclusive. Calling all vegetarians or aspiring vegetarians or vegans. Veg Expo is on at the Vancouver Convention Centre, Canada's premier sustainable vegan and vegetarian expo. Expect demos, workshops and countless new products and services to help you in your lifestyle endeavours. Bring the kids out for activities, games, live entertainment and much more at the Public Works Open House in Port Coquitlam. While you're there, see how it all works from water to waste, roads and parks in a fun, interactive way. How would you like to check out some incredible wood carvings or be a part of the juried wood carving show? That's happening all weekend in Richmond. Take a journey back in time and appreciate our history and gorgeous landscape. Surrey's Heritage Rail is back up and running for the summer months, offering up various tours and experiences that'll fascinate all. For more, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. This program is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners, plus get the best roadside assistance. So Squire was poking around. Yes, he was. (laughs) That's good. Raise your, uh, raise your hand if you like getting needles. I, you know, my trick is, if the needle's here, I always like make, yeah. give myself a pain somewhere else. But I wonder about, what about the ones who give us the needles? How do they teach the nurses of the future, near future, to give needles? Let's find out. Okay, so I'm going to go with... There it is. Both an instrument of health and, for many, horror. But if it makes you feel any better... Even the top-flight nursing students at Douglas College learning how to use a needle properly, even they have a bit of trypanophobia as well. Go right at kind of the tip there, and you're going to go one, two, three. I have no idea why, but it's just, I don't like to see it being done on me, but I'm totally okay with giving injections to others. I don't know, yeah, it's weird. Who likes getting needles here? Likes getting them? <laughs> Nobody. Who likes giving them now? Everybody. But it's not as simple as it looks. It's a skill which has definite rules, such as insert the needle at a 90-degree angle. 
because not giving it at 90 degrees um, poses risk to the patient and actually maybe not reaching the intramuscular um, you know, area and giving the injection into the uh, subcutaneous tissue, which is some medication actually would cause a lot of, um, um, a lot of damage. Going in at 90 degrees quickly. Along with book and video work, these nurses will develop their skills on dummies before they see a real live patient for the first time. What I tell my students is that I read um, a research one time that it actually takes 17 times for you to remember something. So I tell my students, if you have done it 17 times, then do it another 17. Um, because really it's, it's practice, practice, practice. And it's something that pretty much every nurse will do for the rest of their career. How many needles do you give in a day? Uh, I would say the average emergency nurse um, probably gives, gosh, we see so many patients, um, somewhere between 10 and 20. A day? Yes. I've got you under my skin. So until science figures out a new way to inject meds into our bodies, we're going to have to live with the needles. But rest assured, nurses know exactly how to get under our skin. I just saw more needles going into simulated flesh in that two minutes than I have my whole life. Thanks for watching. Have a good night, all.